ACEC is pleased to announce that the early bird deadline for the upcoming private market symposium on commercial and residential real estate has been extended until Wednesday, February the 9th. That's right, there's still time to register and save in the process. To attend this unique event, specifically designed for specialists in land development and engineering, taking place in Scottsdale, Arizona on March 3rd and 4th. If you're engaged in the real estate market, there's no better place to get up-to-date information on economic trends in the real estate industry and trade information with your peers. Again, March 3rd and 4th in Scottsdale, Arizona. To learn more and register, go to www.acec.org. Welcome to Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. Today, we have a a very interesting subject uh, for the show because it's something every single engineering firm out there is dealing with uh, in in one form or another. It ties in the future of our, our industry as a whole. The current challenges we're facing from a workforce and uh, workforce pipeline aspect and really where we see ourselves as an industry moving forward. And uh, we're talking about uh, that mixture between diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and allyship. And these topics that are becoming more woven into the fabric of the day-to-day operations of our member firms. And to have the conversation, very pleased to be joined by our own Catherine Motley, who has been doing a lot of work on our end on ACEC's uh, efforts to improve uh, the level of diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging within our industry and ACEC. And also uh, Masai Lawson, who is with Gannett Fleming. She is the senior manager of talent acquisition at Gannett Fleming uh, up in their headquarters in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So uh, two great guests to have to talk about this subject. Welcome to you both, Masai and Catherine. So, you know, this is this is something that is um, becoming a, a real focus right now with HR and, and talent acquisition. I mean, Masai, give us a little uh, breakdown of, of what you do at Gannett Fleming and, and, and how your work kind of ties into this area. Yeah, so I lead talent acquisition for the firm. I also chair our diversity and inclusion steering committee. Uh, that's been around now for going on about four and a half years or so. I've been with Gannett Fleming for 12 years. It's amazing how time flies. Um, But, you know, at a high level, my team and I are charged with identifying um, individuals at all levels um, to come into the organization, be it entry level or the very experienced professional. Um, You know, it, it is an interesting time. You know, we were targeting growth anyway, um, prior to this infrastructure bill uh, being passed. And so I will tell you that I lose sleep at night sometimes just trying to figure out where are we going to find these people? Uh, They're not growing on trees, so to speak. Um, And then you throw in there um, this, the diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, uh, and it becomes a little bit more, I don't want to say complicated, but certainly a bit more challenging. Um, my roles directly tied to ultimately how we impact the bottom line. You know, we're bringing talent in that is going to generate revenue, deliver projects, 
Um, and so we really need to be thoughtful and intentional when it comes to being able to attract individuals coming from underrepresented groups. Um, and this um, permeates sort of all areas of the organization, all functions of the organization when we talk about you know, operational leadership, when we talk about even our approach to marketing and communications, making sure that uh, we're thoughtful in terms of the content, um, the graphics that are put out there. So again, they're capturing um, what our culture is, which is inclusive, but being able to project that externally is so very important. Um, you know, I think there is maybe not an appreciation for um, not only the deficit of talent in our organization, but just across the country, right? So if you think about this number, 32% of our population actually has college degrees. And then when you narrow this down uh, to STEM careers, it becomes even more challenging, right? Um, and then you have less and less individuals coming from uh, under underrepresented groups graduating with degrees in STEM. Um, so, you know, we're all competing for the same talent. Um, so how do you differentiate yourself? Again, it's, it's, it's focusing on um, both internal and external processes. It's focusing on making sure that you are creating an environment internally that is equitable, where people feel a sense of belonging. Uh, but when you talk about include, you know, includes, inclusion, I should say, uh, diversity, equity, and belonging externally have to be authentic. Um, so making sure that you are walking the talk uh, is so very important because if you're not, once you hire that person into the organization, they're not going to stick around. Um, so don't oversell yourself. Don't oversell um, what you're capable of doing or where you are in your journey, because ultimately you'll be refilling that position six months yeah, to a year. And that, from now. that kind of goes into that issue of allyship, which I think is 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 an interesting thing because it's 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 that second layer of all the initiatives that you're working on um, at the at at trying to present yourself externally and internally. Uh, but before we get into that, just because of your experience again at Fleming, I mean, you you have been. Uh, at, at kind of the crossroads of, of uh, the firm's kind of growth and then also trying to fill the talent to actually sustain that growth over a long period, longer period of time than just this aspect has been around with the firm. But when did, in your experience, the firm start really paying attention to issues related to DEI and B and, 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 and trying to widen that talent pool um, for Gannett Fleming? Yeah, this is a very personal sort of story and connection that I have to this journey that Gannett Fleming um, has taken on. And uh, I will tell you that I, I walked into our CEO's office with our annual report and opened the book. And I said, I'm looking through this annual report and I don't see a whole lot of people that look like me. Um, and are you telling me that there's nobody in this organization that is worth highlighting or promoting or patting on the back for a job well done in this organization? And he just stopped and he said, you know, it's not really anything that I thought about. So I don't think it was intentional at all to be exclusive, but certainly if it's not on your radar and you're not thinking about it in terms of what really should be tied to your overall um, business strategy when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, it just wasn't part of the conversation. So that's how it got started. 
And then from there, he gave me the task of putting together a committee uh, of really committed directors. Obviously, we have the support of our CEO, and that's really how the journey started. Now, we did engage an outside organization to assist us uh, and really putting our finger on the pulse of where we were as an organization. And I'll tell you that, you know, that consisted of surveys, focus groups, executive interviews with our leadership team, and where we thought we were on the spectrum of DEI is not where we were. So it's so important to listen to your employees. That's one thing that I continue to learn. You need to continue to ask the question over and over again, um, because the way that we looked in 2018 versus 2022 with everything that's happened uh, with social justice and, you know, COVID, it, you know, you really have to listen to your employees and they're forcing us to listen. Hence, we have this uh, great resignation phenomenon that we're experiencing right now. Um, you know, employers, or I should say employees are demanding so much more of employers these days and we have to step our yeah, game the up. The amount of change that's happened over such a short period of time. I mean, it seems like we've been in the hamster wheel of the pandemic and, you know, going through all the different stages of it. And, you know, our focus is on, of course, you know, the the, the restrictions or the mandates. But if you take a step outside, you look at the massive change that's happened within this time scale, not just, um, you know, from an economic standpoint, but a societal and cultural standpoint, it's really quite significant. It's I think people are going to look back at this point of the early. We're actually, I guess, we're not no longer early twenty first century. We're kind of you know in the in the uh, before the midpoint. You know, we're in that weird time of the twenties where things change, and 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 I think people are going to look back and say this is this has been a really transformative time for American business, where. It's kind of upset the power structure a large to a large extent because you have employees now who are uh, more portable. Uh, you have employees also who, uh, in this cohort, um, want more out of their place of work in, from a professional perspective than just the paycheck. They want to have that cultural impact. And it seems like engineering is a natural fit there because the work that the engineering uh, profession does generally results in positive change, whether it is helping people get from point A to point B faster and safer, or if it's you know creating the built environment in such a way where there's greater opportunity. Um how has that kind of fit in with kind of getting people in the door? Because the point that you made was 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 well well taken. You have thirty two percent of of Americans with college degrees. Under that subset, you have even fewer with STEM degrees. You have an entire tech sector and engineering sector, not out just outside of the general consulting engineering that our member firms do, that are all trying to get that talent. You know, making yourself set set yourself up from the from from the pack is difficult. Um, how how have you used that value proposition of the work that's being done to help attract people into the firm? Absolutely. You know, probably three years ago, I would have uh, assigned um, this um, what I'm about to say to younger younger generation, right? Where if I'm coming into an organization, I need to feel some sort of um, 
uh, connection or a sense of purpose, a common sense of purpose, I should say, coming into your organization, I think to your point in light of everything that's happened over the past 18 to 24 months, people are requiring more. And so if I'm going to come to work for an organization, it's not just about that paycheck. Do I feel like um, my voice is heard? Um, do I feel like um, there is an opportunity for me to grow, even though I'm looking at most of the people in this organization and they don't necessarily look like me? Um, you know, being able to um, articulate and communicate a culture of inclusion um, is, is certainly easier to do, you know, in uh, on a website than it is when you actually invite someone into your organization. So that's just the first step, you know, being able to attract those people into the organization. But when you talk about retention, I think there are a few things most people are looking for. They're looking to, to, to understand that you as an organization are making an investment in them. So looking at learning and development, you know, this should transcend anyone at, at any level uh, in the organization, uh, irrespective of whatever group they might belong to from a demographic perspective. Um, I also think that um, being community minded, um, particularly now, you know, you talked about transit systems and getting people from one point to another. Well, for so very long, I think that these communities that were marginalized, that wasn't on the radar before, or at least it wasn't something that was talked about. I think maybe there are organizations that did some things quietly, but now I'm finding that candidates are asking me, I'm, in, I'm interested in this job in transit. Tell me about your commitment to being equitable. Uh, or I'm, I'm interested in this opportunity and in, in your environmental space, you know, what does the, the composition of the people sitting around the table that are looking at environmental impact, what does that look like? So, you know, on one hand, it's caused us to raise our game. And at the same time, I, I so appreciate it because it has forced us to raise our game to start to look at things through a different lens uh, and, and be more uh, thoughtful uh, about our, all of our actions uh, in the community, internally when we talk about employees. And I would also say that making sure that you're looking at policies, procedures, internally inside of your organization, making sure that they're fair and equitable. And that's something that I think you have to constantly do as organizations grow. And, and really, they're kind of looking at those titles. I mean, you have diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging. It, it goes beyond just the title, right? Because there's that, um, of course, diversity, you know, is kind of self-descriptive, but again, it's just not on one area. You can have varying levels of diversity from geography to social structure, to educational background, to race, gender, what have you. Um, but then you get into these other issues where you have equity and, and equity and belonging, right? And, and, having not just being represented at the table, but being heard at the table and having that investment, knowing that the contribution that you're making is being noted and it's a welcome contribution, um, which is, I think, where a lot of the, a lot of our members have to really sit down and, and take that active role of, of actively participating. Um, you know, for our members out there who are kind of trying to figure out, okay, we have a program or we're trying to develop a program. I mean, what do you think is the most important thing from that aspect of, of that, in, of that giving someone a platform to actually be included into the process? Yeah. Um, you know, 
I think if I, again, I'll connect the dots between my own personal sort of experience and journey um, working again at plumbing, you know, it's been, like I said, about five, five years or so. Um, you know, first of all, I'd say there's not a one size fits all approach. Uh, it, it, and, and no one needs to be an expert to get involved or to initiate any sort of DEI, DEIB program. Uh, I would recommend first, you know, assembling a committee like I did, you know, of individuals who were passionate, um, that were committed to driving change. Um, and I've had numerous conversations. There's a lot of people internally at our, our firm that are passionate about it, but those that are really interested in and not afraid to, that's the other thing, speak up. Um, this can be done um, by doing some informal surveys, of course, as I mentioned before, or just frankly listening to people internally and paying attention to what they say. Um, you know, setting goals and figuring out where you want to be, you know, in terms of improvement, keeping in mind that this is a journey and it takes time to right set your expectations as you're continuing to learn, maybe even things you didn't know about your organization as you start to do this work. Um, you know, and also be sort of graceful to yourself, understanding that, um, again, Rome wasn't built in a day and you may only have so many resources or limited resources to work with. Uh, I was very fortunate to be able to have this committee. Um, you know, our, our, our CEO is a huge champion. My boss allows me to come out and speak about things like this, you know, my uh, keeping my day job. Uh, but, you know, when you think about um, maybe some things that you can do immediately, there might be some low hanging fruit, right? That your organization can um, do to address DEI. And we really serve as a launching pad uh, to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. And it also shows a commitment. Um, one of the things that we did was something so very simple, which was acknowledging cultural observances um, back in 2020. It was a, a, a newsletter that went out from our CEO. Uh, I you know, did the heavy lift of, of, of doing the research and writing the information, but hearing from him, oh my gosh, the, the feedback and the positive um, comments that he received from our employees. It continues till this day, and it actually led to our Lift Every Voice series, where we had our employees uh, all, all through 2021 record videos that we edited together to promote all of those different cultural observances. So that's evolved over time, but the amount of involvement and participation of our employees was really it made me feel good because <laughs> it made me understand that we are reaching people and people are feeling like, yeah, this is an organization that really wants to hear my voice and wants me to participate. So I, you not only serve, of course, um, on your firm's uh, committee, but you also are a volunteer leader at ACEC on our open committee. And take an opportunity here for a plug because it is an open committee. If you're an ACEC member, you can sign up to be part of the DEI and B committee at ACEC, which is being led on the staff level with uh, by Catherine Motley, who's taken up a, a, the leadership role in kind of helping us as an organization tackle these issues. Um, I, Catherine, I want to bring you in here because I, you know, we're hearing from, of course, our members at large, and we're looking at the statistics, of course, industry-wide. I mean, you know, from your experience with the committee so far, I mean, 
what's resonated here in the conversation so far? Is this something that you're hearing from other firms as well, um, you know, of, of, of how they're trying to approach this issue? I think it is. And, you know, to Masai's point, I, I think firms are at different places in this journey. Uh, we definitely so have members who have done a lot of work in this space, who are doing really interesting and wonderful and innovative things. Um, you know, it, let's point to ourselves as ACEC. You know, we really started focusing in this area a few years ago when we put together our new strategic plan. And that, that is what led to our, our sort of greater engagement in this work and the creation of the DEI and B committee. Uh, but I think it's also useful to point out, you know, we, we represent several thousand engineering firms. Among our members, over 80% have 100 or fewer employees. And so that looks really different than a firm the size of Gannett Fleming. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so what, what they are doing and can do in this space might also look different. Um, in terms of resources that the firm has. Um, but I, I am really encouraged by what Masai has been saying because uh, that says to me that you know, every firm can do something. You know, every firm can make change in this space or can grow in this space. And that is you know, part of what we wanna do with the DEI and B committee is to help provide resources for our member firms um, that want to uh, engage in this space. Yeah, it's a really important point about scale. Because, you know, firms of varying sizes will have varying levels of investment in this or any other area of their business. But I think to Masai's point, you know, that that example of um, uh, recognizing the cultural cultural backgrounds of your employees and making it a point to give them the opportunity to talk about it, to feel that they're being included in the firm culture. That's a that's a fairly zero cost quite honestly, thing that you can do to start building that sense of community at a firm. Um, But of course, you know, you can scale it up significantly from there. Um, You know, but even for the smaller firms, because the other the other research that we're seeing and and the things that we're hearing anecdotally, especially firms that are doing business in in, in with public sector clients, especially certain public uh, sector municipal clients, is that on the uh, the bid side, and you know the, the the proposal side, increasingly clients are demanding that firms that do respond do have a component of you know who is on this team, what's the firm's commitment to diversity. Uh, Masai, I mean, from your experience um, at Gannett Fleming, have you noticed that? Um, and then Catherine, I mean, what what have you been hearing from our members who you've been talking to? Yeah. Um, that's funny. I would say in the past two to three years or so, I found myself providing content for RFP responses, um, addressing anything from supplier diversity to the composition of our workforce to how do we recruit employees, um, what sort of workforce uh, development programs have we participated in that have been successful. It is becoming um, so much more important, or at least on, I should say it's on the radar of our clients when we're looking, when they're looking at selecting partners, you know, or vendors to support them. Um, and again, while it makes, give, it obviously puts more work on my plate, I'm excited about it because we're paying attention. If you look at the public sector and you look at the composition of leadership, um, 
they've made strides in being a bit more diverse and inclusive when it comes to people who are key stakeholders or who are in leadership roles. And so it was only a matter of time that they wanted to see that diversity reflected across the table from the engineering firm that is sitting down and coming up with solutions for them. Um, so I'm encouraged by it. And again, it just causes us to take a, 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 a look inside, if you will, uh, and get honest with ourselves about what we are or are not doing in order to be successful in this space. And Catherine, what are you hearing uh, from you know our member firms? Well, I'm definitely hearing and seeing some of the same thing. Um, you know, when I do presentations on this topic, you know, and making the business case for firms to engage in this space, one of, to me, one of the pieces of the business case are RFPs, and I include copies of RFPs, you know, on these slides where you can see, you know, two of the ones that I have, 25% of the score, you know, 25 out of 100 points relate to um, corporate responsibility and sometimes specifically to DEI and different pieces of DEI, you know, what are you doing as a firm? How are you committed? Uh, what kind of work do you do with DBE firms? You know, there are there are a number of questions that are asked that firms need to uh, respond to. Uh, and I've also been told by our members that while you at this point, you mostly see that in the public sector space, but you do also see it in other um, in other areas that our members serve, for example, you know, you could have a private project, but if it's a utility, often they want to um, work with their clients, sometimes even private sector businesses. An example in the DC area is Amazon's HQ2, because Amazon knows that it has to have strong partnerships with the local municipalities to be, you know, to move this project forward. They're also asking those same kinds of questions. And so I just think this is going to be something that firms will see um, more and more over time. Yeah. And that's, that's something that we're going to be working on is helping our firms navigate this because if you are one of those smaller firms, you know, let's say, you know, 50 or less employees. And if you were hoping to be a sub on a larger project, you know, it's going to get to the point where your selection as a sub is going to be contingent upon the requirements of the RFP. And you could find yourself not being, um, considered because of certain aspects related to these issues. Uh, so it's important for you, uh, even at a small or, or mid-sized firm, to start thinking about this and how are you going to present, present yourself in a marketplace that's radically changing, both on, on acquiring new talent, retaining it for yourself, developing those relationships, um, and, and, and fostering more diverse talent, and then also uh, making sure that you're hitting what your client needs um, at the end of the day. Um, let's, let's just switch over to, to the topic of allyship, because this is something which is kind of a, another layer. It's, you know, we talk about DEI and B and then really overarching. This is that kind of idea of, of, of being an ally. Um, what does it really mean? Um, cause I hear the term brought up a lot, but you know, beside to you, what is, what does allyship mean? You know, I would say an ally is really any person that actively promotes and uh, aspires to advance a culture of inclusion through um, intentional, positive, and um, conscious efforts that benefit the organization. So really, everybody has the ability to be an ally, uh, as privilege is um, intersectional, if you will. Uh, so white women can be actionable, uh, actionable allies to people of color. Uh, men can be allies to women. Um, cis people can be allies to members of the LGBTQ plus community. 
uh, able-bodied people can be allies to those with different abilities. Um, economically privileged people can be allies to those who are not, and, and, and so on. And, and also, just to kind of take it a step further, when you think about allyship, allyship is really a, what I would consider a lifelong process of building relationships based on trust, consistency, uh, and, and accountability with marginalized individuals or groups. Um, it's also important to point out that allyship is not self-defined. <laughs> so in other words, um, you know, work and efforts must be recognized by those people that you're seeking to um, uh, support, if you will. Uh, it's, it's not about patting yourself on the back and saying job well done without receiving that validation from the groups or, or individuals that you're advocating on behalf of. And, and then also when you think about allies, um, you know, to be allies in, in words and in actions, like that has to sink. Um, words without actions can be detrimental to an organization um, and can really um, uh, counteract what you're trying to do in terms of advancing a culture of inclusion and being a more equitable organization. It really is that um, the work that's put in to all the things that you kind of put into place, mm -hmm. that this is what really the rubber meets the road and it's, it's stepping outside of yourself because one of the things that uh, is the interesting thing about, I guess, the concept of, of, of allyship is that it, it's being, it's taking an active proactive step to um, uh, take action on something that does not directly affect yourself. So it's, it's understanding. Yeah. Number one, it's understanding. And number two, it's actually taking action to correct or address it. You know, I think in allyship, you know, if not for some sort of defined corporately led DNI initiative, I mean, just becoming a sponsor or a champion of someone from an underrepresented group um, to support their career growth, which frankly directly impacts retention, um, you know, could be amazing. Um, so being a sponsor, I want to say, is being different than a mentor. Right. So sponsoring is actively being involved and in advocating or aiding that individual in their career progression, whereas mentoring, I don't want to keep it too simple, but it's like providing advice to someone and maybe helping them navigate the waters, you know, of an organization to some extent. Uh, Catherine, how, how is the idea of allyship? Have you broached that with the committee? Um, is that something which is a is is a growing area of conversation? It, you know, it is. And it started at the very beginning when we um, asked Lisa Brothers to, with Niche Engineering to chair the committee. One of the things she said was that she really wanted to have some vice chairs and other people um, on the steering committee who, who would be allies, people who were not just like herself. Um, and so, and I think that that's a really key element um, to what you and Ms. I have been talking about is, you know, people who it may not be in that seat, you know, themselves. So maybe they, so, so she particularly appreciated having, we have two wonderful vice chairs who are both men and it's, you know, it's a nice combination to have um, of people all kind of speaking, learning and growing and speaking together um, on these issues. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really, it, it's good to have these conversations and it's, it's good that we're having this conversation specifically because I mean, we talk um, a lot about, you know, all of the different business impacts on the industry, whether it's taxes or it's legislative or what have you. 
And those are easily defined and they're easy conversations to have. These aren't as easy to have, honestly. They're just, they're uncomfortable, but that's the point. Um, you know, and, and, you know, there, there is, it's not a easy thing to get involved in. And that's why it's so important that, um, both Masai on your end, again, at Fleming, that you have a committee to deal with this specifically. And then also your contributions to ACEC and our committee to try to figure out and navigate a way for our firms to take an active role in this. So especially, I mean, again, on our side of the world, if you're an ACEC member, again, this, this is an open committee. That means that you don't have to you know, apply or anything like that. You, you just sign up and be part of it. And, um, you know, to talk to Catherine and, and you get this experience and, and this on the ground experience of setting up a program that like Messiah's done and, and, and her contribution to, to, to the ACEC committee. Um, and it's a great opportunity to kind of broach the conversation in a, in a, in a, in a space that's designed for it. Um, so uh, Catherine on, on where, where should people go if they are interested in, in being part of the, co- of, of the committee? Oh, it, you know what? It's easy. If you go to the ACEC website, acec.org, and you go to committees, you'll see a list actually of all of the ACEC committees. And on there, there's a link for the DEINB committee and a reminder that's diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And right there, there's a big button that says join a committee. So it should be pretty straightforward. Um, and if it's not, we'll help you along the way. Yeah. And, and the Maasai on your end, I, I'd say, you know, the work that you've been doing on, on, on getting that information out there from your employees, I imagine that, that, that has entered into the social media content that you put out with Gannett Fleming. Um, you know, where can people find, like, where would you want people to go and take a look at what you're doing at Gannett Fleming on these issues? Where would, where would you direct them? Yeah, we leverage most of the social media channels, but where we are seeing um, the most visibility or we have the most visibility is on our, on our um, Mm -hmm. website and also on our LinkedIn page. Um, So yeah, there's a lot of information out there on on Gannett Fleming um, with respect to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, but definitely Check us out on LinkedIn or would encourage you to actually not only visit our corporate website, but our career site. Mm-hmm. I think if you were a candidate or just somebody that was curious about Gannett Fleming, um, taking a tour of our career site will give you a really strong sense of who we are as an That's organization. Great. Well, I do hope that this is just the, um, you know, one of uh, the start of many conversations on this subject. And I, uh, do appreciate your time, Asai, on uh, on taking time out of busy day. I know HR is not exactly a uh, a uh, let's just say you don't have a lot of free time. <laughs> it's always something. Not no, not these days. days. No. <laughs> and uh, and Catherine, of course, always uh, thank you very much for for adding in um, your experience on this and your great work on this in in this area. So thank you both for being here today. And again, this has been an episode of Engineering Influence, the ACEC podcast. We'll see you next time.